Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, it's going to be an energetic morning this morning, <laughs> right? Um, you would find I'll do a couple of things. I would use marvelous a lot, not because it's my name, it's just the word. Um, but also importantly, I would say praise the Lord most of the time, and the response should be what? Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Get ready for this. <laughs> so my name is Marvelous, and I'm married to Blessing sitting here um, with us today. Um, we have two beautiful little girls. Um, they are in the kids' church now. Um, what else? We've been coming to Grace Church now for four and a half years. Seems such a short time. So I remember the first time I stepped through that door, and till now, God has been amazing. Um, God has blessed this church with wonderful leadership, and his presence, his presence, is what has kept us. And I hope it keeps you and continues to keep you. Praise God. Um, so today, we'll be continuing our series on when Jesus met. And this is all about Jesus meeting, encountering different people. Already in the past two weeks, we've seen Jesus meet the paralytic, and um, and Rick has done a good job of that. I don't need to repeat much, but there was the instance when some people had to open the roof, drop a man in, and the expectation was that Jesus would say, be healed, and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. He is a God that heals what happens inside and what happens outside. And last week, we also saw Jesus do something even more confusing. As the kingdom of God begins to break into humanity, we see him taking control from the way society would like to do things. In this case, Jesus just sees Levi, the tax collector, the man disliked, hated by many. And Jesus says, come with me. Jesus goes to his house, eats with him. And people are like, who is this man? But as we move forward, uh, we come to the point where Jesus said to his disciples, um, let us cross over to the other side. And in this case, Jesus was encouraging them to come with him and go over to the land of the Decapolis, which is the land of the Gentiles, and I'll come to that in a moment. But the important thing is here that Jesus, in crossing the Sea of Galilee onto the other side, they went through a storm. And this was a massive natural storm, very wild, and Jesus was able to calm that storm. And in today's reading or message, we will see Jesus having calmed the storm of nature and life now going to calm the storm that was happening in the heart of a man that he will soon encounter. Praise God. So um, this is one topic that doesn't need too much introduction because it introduces itself in the message. So I'll just jump into it and read. And um, the words will come up in the screen. Okay, I have it printed. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerizims. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, 
he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. Terror. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the country, on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out, and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to see, they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man the one who had the legion, sitting there, sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who has been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, he, Jesus, did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him, and everyone marveled. Praise God. This is a story that preaches for itself. Um, but we will try to unpack it. And the very first part is that in the book of Mark, Mark starts the gospel by saying that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was so keen and interested to demonstrate and show people that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. Why? Because there was the understanding that Jesus, if he is the Son of God, he then is the one that is going to save us from our sin. He's the one that was going to bring this deliverance that for years prophets have prophesied. He was going to fulfill all these prophecies. And we see Jesus right from verse 1 of the book of Mark casting out demons. He cast out a demon in the synagogue and they tried... And each time they called him his name, they tried calling his name, sometimes he shut them off. And in other times, the Bible, you know, the important thing to notice here about the Bible is that the Bible doesn't apologize when it tells you about the physical and the spiritual realm. 
It is us men that confuse this matter. The Bible finds us weird that you want to have an explanation that there is spirit and there is a physical. The Bible just tells you, and there was a demon, and the man was possessed, and just goes on. It doesn't stop to explain. Because this is the truth. This is the life we live in. Praise God. Now, when Jesus said to them, let us go to the other side, to an ordinary man, it's just normal. It's the other side. Get on the boat, get on the sea, cross the sea, go to the other side. But to the Jewish people, this was a big matter, right? The other side was the Decapolis, ten cities, a city of the Gentiles, a place of demonic worship, a people that were evil, that sacrificed pigs and did all the things that God said in the book of the law that you should not do. To them, these were pagans. We shouldn't, these are people that they didn't want anything to do with. Throughout the Bible, God kept saying, don't be like them. Don't follow their ways. Don't marry from them. And right now, Jesus is saying, let us go to this other side. <laughs> and just get a picture of the disciples when they landed on the other side. Because these guys, the Bible says, when Jesus calmed the storm, first of all, there was a storm, and he was relaxed and sleeping. Then he woke up and he said, peace, be still. And what did they say? The first, they were terrified, and they said, who is this man? Now they are in that state of mind when they land the other side. Probably it is a city. The Bible says in verse 1 that they came to the other side, to the town of the Gerizim. In the book of Mark and Luke, we have other names, the Gerizim, the Gadera, but for me, it's very simple. Is Beeston in Nottingham in Nottinghamshire. <laughs> right? No need to spend time on that. <laughs> but they came to the other side of the sea, and there's a town here like called um, the, the City of Curses. Like, it's a place today that is validated that they have actually identified this mountain, and there's some um, ancient religion places there that people visit actually to see. So it's real, right? And now they are on this other side. They are in this strange place. And it's Jesus and the disciples. And the Bible says immediately, which is a word that is constant in the book of Mark, urgency, immediately. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Jesus is demonstrating that he is the son of God. He has authority over the physical world and the spiritual world. He has authority over demons. He's master over the forces of darkness. He is absolutely in control. And right here, the, the, he meets this man. Now, let's just spend a moment to see the condition of this man that they meet. This is, by, they just arrived this other side around the evening area, so it must have been really funny and a, a, bit, a bit weird and um, scary for the disciples that were already terrified that we are coming here in the evening, and right there, they met a man from the tombs, a man that was under the power of unclean spirits, the book of Luke, chapter 8, 27, says, for a long time. And he was naked. I mean, Mark doesn't tell us this detail. But Luke gives us even a bit more graphic here. He was also naked for a long time. He wore no clothes. He lived not in any house. He lived in the tombs. He was isolated. And he lived in the graves, which, are, of course, for the Jewish people in the, in the book of Numbers, God clearly says, says to them, when you get in contact with the dead, you get dirty. You get unclean. 
and you have to go do this seven days ritual, do all these things to get yourself clean. This man was constantly with the dead. He was unclean, defiled. He had severe personality changes. In fact, he was such that his identity and his individuality was completely swallowed. The demons were completely in control of his existence. He could not be helped by society because he was wild, he was strong, he was uncontrollable, strong. He was living a life of misery and torment. The Bible says he cried day and night in the mountains, day and night. And I don't know whether some of us have things in our life that makes us cry and wonder and worry day and night. This was the condition and the situation of this man. And he was self-harming. He caught himself with stones. I mean, it's even more graphic in, in, in another uh, version of the Bible or maybe NIV or King James. They say he was gashing himself with stones. So you begin to get a picture. The Matthew gives us a bit more clarity on this region and what was going on here. He said this man was exceedingly fierce and no man could come around this area anymore. Now, this was the man that the disciples that were afraid, coming behind Jesus, this, then they encountered this man immediately. He didn't even give them the chance to think. The moment they were coming off the boat, there was this gorilla man, wounds all over him, horrible, naked, rushing down towards them. And uh, what do you think Peter would have done? Maybe gone by and said, Jesus, maybe we should. We told you. Right? And in the man's mind, maybe he's imagining, like, didn't these people get the memo that this place is out of bounds? This is not where people come. This is my area. But the Bible records that in verse 6, he ran and worshipped Jesus. The word prostrate oneself before a superior is used. Now, notice that this man didn't, he came, and normally he would rush at least to the other guys that looked terrified. That is what the spirit of fear does, right? And I remember growing up that dogs, they smell when you're afraid. So when they come on a group, they always go on the guy that was shaking. So there's Peter, and the guy is shaking already, and this man was rushing down. So the natural thing was to get first on this deal with these weaklings, then deal with this man that seemed to be confident. But the Bible says he suddenly focused on Jesus. He was drawn to Jesus. For an instant, an instant, the power of God suspended the control over his life. For an instant, the spirit in him arose and saw hope. How do I know that? Because the Bible says Jesus said to the spirit, come out of him. And when he heard that word, his spirit that was dead, that was subdued, was kindled with a spark of faith. And suddenly this man worshipped. He rushed. In that instant of opportunity, that he was a bit free from these demons, he rushed and worshipped Jesus. The same has happened to us. We were once in the dark, once full of noise, and somehow, somewhere, the word came, and somehow, somewhere, something rose in our heart, and we believed. And we see this man rush and prostrate before Jesus. And Jesus said to the spirit, come out of him. Now the encounter suddenly transforms from this man to the spiritual. 
Again, the Bible doesn't apologize here. He just jumps around. He's talking about the man. He's talking about the demons. And all the time he's saying, he, he, he. He cried with a loud voice. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adore you by God. Do not torment me. Who cried? The demons. They cried out. So one man was here worshiping, the real man. The demons were terrified. And they cried out. We see the tormentor pleading not to be tormented. Jesus said one word. And through them, that word was torment. They were terrified. Demons are afraid of Jesus. They are afraid of anyone that has Jesus in them. They are terrified. The Bible says, for he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. They do fear you too. Praise God. And... See what the demons are. What have I to do with you? As in like, hey, nothing is going on here, Jesus. Just go your way. I mean, we're just having our time. You have nothing to worry about. Go, you're busy. Go on with the world. Save the world. And then they go ahead and said, they called him the son of the most high God, trying to indicate to Jesus that we know who you are. In the Jewish council, this is something that if you want to kind of indicate authority over someone, you call them first by their name, saying, I know you. And the same is in my culture. We have this stuff we call masquerades in, in, where I come from in Ebola. And when they see you, they, they call, the understanding is that they tell you your name. So they see you and they say, marvelous. It's not because they are trying to ask you to answer them. They are just trying to say, I know you. I have a deeper understanding. I know something about you that you should be quiet right now. I want you to be humble before me. But Jesus overlooks all of that. But most importantly, they call Jesus Son of God, the same thing that other demons throughout Mark keeps calling Jesus, right? And the important thing here is that the Son of the Most High God, using the same word that historically, even in the Old Testament, the Gentile nations always used to describe the God of the Israelites. They knew him as El Elyon, the Most High God. But the Jewish people knew him as Jehovah, their God. But it was an understanding that these people's God is higher than our God. We have these little gods, but there is the most high God. And that is what demons kept saying. So Jesus decided to humor a bit. Because normally, throughout Mark, when Jesus said, come out, that's it. He doesn't say it again. But I'm so happy that Jesus didn't say, come out a second time. Thy word went forth, and that is settled. I don't know what God has spoken about your life. I don't know what prophecy you've had. Maybe you keep coming to the church, keep coming to the leadership. Tell me another one. What did God say? <laughs> the word goes forth. The Bible says the words that goes out of my heart, they are life, they are spirit. And it does not come back void. It will accomplish everything for which it was sent. The prophecies concerning Revelation Church, the prophecy concerning our life, they've gone forth. They are life. They are active. They are working day and night to bring to fulfillment everything that God has promised. You don't need to keep coming for that word. Tell me again. No. Jesus gives the word. So Jesus said, what is your name? And he said, we, my name is Legion. Right? For we are many. And Luke helps us a bit by explaining that, yes, there were many. So their name is Legion. There are many. 
And one important thing here is that Jesus exposes the fact that a legion is, in the Roman army days, about 6,000 soldiers and 120 horsemen and some technical crew. Now, imagine the structure of demonic and darkness that was possessing this man. And all along, what did they say? I, I, they wanted, you know, gave Jesus the impression that, oh, it's just me here. But Jesus, in asking that question, exposes the forces of darkness in the life of this man. And of course, for the disciples to see also what was going on here, and the onlookers, there were many possessing this man. Now, Jesus exposes a certain number of things about these demons right here, that they are organized, they are structured, they, they, you know, they are not just like randomly running around. They are in a very hierarchical structure. The same way we see um, already the Bible says for the, we have principalities and powers and all. So they have a structure. They are organized. And most important is the fact that they, we are speaking unanimously with one voice. Which is contrary to what was said in the book of Mark chapter 3 when they accused Jesus of using the power of demons to cast out demons. Right? And now the Pharisees were being disproved for Jesus. These demons were showing unanimous, they walk together. And even when Satan, especially in some, in some places where I've heard stories and all of that, where people are possessed and they go to another demonic doctor or witchcraft to help them cast out this spell, and the person cast out that one and put another one, because they walk together. And even when you think Satan is against each other, they are actually talking to each other and organized in making sure that we are destroyed. Praise God. So he begged Jesus not to send them out of the country. And then they begged Jesus to send them into the peaks. Two requests. The first one, not to send them out of the country. And why will you say, oh, oh Jesus, 2,000 less demons will give us some peace. Send them to Abyss or send them away. But there is a plan. Jesus, God has a clear plan of a time when we are, he's taking absolute control. He would bound all these forces in one instant and lock them up forever and ever and ever. And this demon seems to know there is a time. For in Matthew, they said, um, in Matthew, they seem to say to Jesus, have you come to take, destroy us before our time? They have an understanding that there is a timeline. So Jesus leaves them in this territory. The reason is simple. It's either there or the abyss. Jesus was not going to send them from nothing and say, okay, you've done enough in nothing. Now, please go to Leicester. <laughs> and also in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, verse 13, the Bible talks about the prince of Persia demonstrating that there is a structure and kind of a setting where there is, these demons have localities where they cannot go beyond, which, which is quite good because then we, there is some control here. God is absolutely in control and has set boundaries. So it's either you are in your boundary or you are in the abyss. Praise God. So Jesus leaves them here. But then the pigs, why would they want to go into the pigs? Why did Jesus let them go? The Bible says Jesus with one word said to them, go. And they all went in an instance. Mark is quite kind. Mark said he gave them permission. So I like what Luke said. Luke said, go. Praise God demonstrating control and his power. But Jesus, I don't know why they wanted to go into the pigs. You'll be happy to know that. I don't know what demons want, right? I don't know why 
they felt Jesus should send them. But one thing I do know is that Jesus wanted the people to see the effect of these demons. It was easy to say, yeah, this man is set free. But when they saw them going to the peak, suddenly it was clear how terrible force this guy has been experiencing. Jesus also, in doing this, demonstrated that the man is actually free. For in leaving the man, the man can see and the people can see that something has happened, he's free. But most importantly, Jesus right here was fulfilling prophecy. In the book of Micah chapter 7, and um, it will come up on the screen. Verse 19, the Bible says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquity underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depth of the sea. Praise God. Hallelujah. Right here, Jesus was yet fulfilling yet another prophecy, demonstrating that he is the Son of God, that he is in control. And he was casting these demons and the pigs right into the sea. Now, with all this that happened, the Bible simply records what was now the condition of the man. For the herdsmen ran out into the town and told everybody this story. This was one of the most amazing evangelism sections I've seen. These people, the Bible records that they, they went and told everybody, and the whole town and the regions around the town came to see what it is that was done. These guys would have been amazing pastors. So when these people came, they saw the man. He was once bound. He is now free. He was once in pain. He was now healed. He was once in the dark, lost his personality. Now he was sitting there. The Bible says he was clothed, no longer naked. Praise God. He was in his right mind. The storm that was going on within him was once and for all healed. The same completeness that the paralytic experience, we see this man experience, a wholeness beyond contention. And when they saw what Jesus has done, the Bible said they were terrified. Praise God. They were terrified. But what was their response? They asked Jesus, we love you so much. You've done this wonderful stuff. Please, let's build a church. Let's worship. We want to hear more. Come to the town with us. No. They asked him to leave. And when I saw this verse, I was like, how stupid. <laughs> the demons begged to stay. And the, the man that controlled the demons is being asked to leave. But then it occurred to me that the same guys that went to preach in the town and created this massive response, the same people, when these guys came, they saw the man. The Bible says they were terrified. And that's in chapter... So they seen the man, they were afraid in verse 15. So that fear could lead to faith. Right there, these guys were at the verge of a national transformation and change. But the same guys that went to bring them and tell this story of what has happened to the possessed man, now decided to say more, right? And in verse 16, they, get, they now told the guys about the pigs. And fear became irritation and a dislike for which they said to God, go. Right now, a choice was placed before them. Your materialistic world or your Savior. And they choose the world over their Savior. 
How often do we respond in this way? How often do we find ourselves, me as an example, sometimes in the presence of God here, the power of God is moving, you hear the prophetic words coming through the worship, and I know that God is speaking to my heart, and God is drawing me to something, and then when the time for response comes, somehow I shy away. I don't respond. I say to myself that I can live with this. I can manage it. I can. It's okay. How bad can it be that a response to the God that knows you in and out is refused for your own personal choice of staying put for whatever reason? How else do you describe being deceived by the enemy? And today, I want us to really begin to think about our response. God is creating a massive shift in this church, a shift of faith. And it's time that we begin to be shameless in the way we respond, in the way we praise, in the way we talk about God, in the way we jump. We cannot just be quiet. We cannot just try to be in control all the time. The church is not a place of people that feel they are healthy. As we heard last week, people that feel they have it all in control. This is where you come to cry. This is where you come to, to really be yourself, to say, God, this is we help. And this is not where you come to be in control, to, to show that you are on top of your game. It's not in the church. We come here to be strengthened so that we can go out there and be on top of our game. We don't come here to be on top of our game and go out there to be terrible with the demonic forces <laughs> and the forces of nature. Praise God. So this morning, I really want us to respond. The demons answered the questions that the disciples had right from the beginning. Who is this man? They told the disciples, the Son of God. And there's another thing that I want to draw in here. The fact that there is the good soil. Jesus talked about the parable of the sower. And in one of the cases, there was a good soil. The seed fell into this soil, and it grew, and it produced 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Finally, we encounter a good soil, the man. The word comes into his heart. He receives the word. The Bible says he was seated at the feet of Jesus, showing that he was being discipled. And when Jesus wanted to leave, he tried to say, let me go with you. And the word you say is that the same word that describes, I want to be one of your disciples. That is the transformation that happened in this man. But Jesus said no. Go to your people, share your testimony. Tell them how I cast out the demons. No. Tell them that the Lord, how the Lord has had what? Mercy on you. Right there, Jesus connects them to us. Because we say, oh, no demon was cast out from me. I was being in control. When I met Christ, I was okay. I don't need all of that. <laughs> God had mercy on you. God brought us out of darkness. We were in the dark. He brought us to the light. We were away from him. He brought us to his presence. God gave us all that we have, all that we need. And right there, we see Jesus saying to him, this is the testimony, the good news, that what man could not do, what the society thought that the best solution worked for was basically to describe the problem. And in describing the problem, that was it. You know? We use all this scientific stuff we have, and we say, yeah, yeah, he's this. We give it a name, and it ends there. Giving something a name doesn't solve the problem. So, and Jesus right here is going beyond whatever the society does and saying, 
Here is a problem that could not be solved. And Jesus stepped in and solved the problem. He is the God of every impossible situation you might be going through. And I don't know what's going on in your life. Throughout the last few weeks, and I just need to check how much time do I have? Okay, two minutes. <laughs> Throughout looking at this passage, it occurred to me that God and Jesus here said to them, if you just look at the verse after, the Bible says that, and he got on the boat and went back. Right? Jesus was very, very intentional about this man. He did not meet this man at random. He was over the other side. He told his disciples, let us cross over to the other side. The Bible records that they crossed over. They went through the storm. They risked it all to save this one man. And after they were done, they crossed back and continued what they were doing. God knew him. God had mercy on him. What happened to the pigs will show you what the intention of the demonic forces were over this life. But God, in his mercy, never let him go beyond cutting himself. God preserved him even in the darkness. And at the right time, Jesus showed up for him and set him free. And for us, this is the right time. Not tomorrow, now. Praise God. So what shall be our response? That Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God. He's able to do everything. We are called to a life of faith, not a life of fear. That it has not happened now doesn't mean you should stop asking for it. We cannot let go. We are called to stand strong and keep asking for God and stand in faith for that which you believe. Praise God. Ask the band to come up. There is... There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. I don't know if we know that song, but we can play anyone we want. To break every chain. And I just want us to, as we stand up now, I want you to think about what is it, what is it in your life that you feel all hope is lost? What is that thing that has taken away your peace that you think, you know what, I'll come to church, but on this matter, God is not involved. Jesus is saying, bring it to me. Let us take a journey. A journey of healing, a journey of restoration. It might not happen the way you want it to happen. But would you come with Jesus on this journey? Knowing that he knows your name. He saw you before you were born. Like this man, he came from heaven to earth. For us all. He delivered us, went on the cross was isolated, died, took our sins away, gave us salvation. And today he's here again. Praise God.